0: my friends you are back again welcome back to another episode of on the mic with mike I am your podcast host, Instructor Mike, from controversial issues that affect us in the criminal justice system to controversial issues that affect us across the nation, both locally and otherwise. I am that controversial person that's going to go there and talk about those issues. You're always going to learn something when you're listening to this podcast, so grab your pens and your paper. You can go on ahead and follow me on Facebook at Mike Brown or on Instructor Mike. You can also go to my YouTube page instructor mike as well and you can subscribe to this podcast we would greatly appreciate it here is another issue that we are going to talk about on on the mic with mike Hey, what's going on this instructor Mike? It is good to be back. I was on a little bit of a sabbatical, you know, had a lot of classes that I was teaching and uh, I was writing my new book entitled What I Tell Myself First: Children's Real-World Affirmations of Self-Esteem. It is a book that's based off of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Some of you all who follow me either on Facebook or Instagram, things of that nature, you know, um, or even, you know, uh, on YouTube. You've heard me talk about this book before. What I tell myself first, it's based off of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. It instills within our children, instills within our children. Real world affirmations of self esteem. And you're gonna hear maybe a commercial or something to that effect in this podcast. So without further delay, it is great to be back. Let's talk about some of the uh, podcast topics we're going to talk about. Uh, Eddie Johnson and uh, Laquan McDonald, the situation regarding Eddie Johnson and Laquan McDonald in the report, it came out. And so some of the questions were, you know, as a deputy chief of patrol, why didn't he stand up for Laquan? And this is something that's being asked in the black community. Uh, and so I just want to talk about that just for a little bit. Okay. Um, we're going to also talk about the Chicago police board firing of officer Robert Rialmo in the shooting death of Betty Jones and Quentinio Greer, Greer. Hope I'm saying the names right. Uh, and then we're also looking at the same Chicago police uh, board, allowing Jason Van Dyke to resign. We'll talk about that shortly. And then the Chicago teachers union strike. We are right in the uh in the middle of that strike. I don't even want to call it the middle. We don't even know when it's gonna end. We hope it would end soon. So we'll talk about that, this and more on On the Mic with Mike. All right, so let's go ahead and dive right into it. So the City of Chicago Inspector General came out with a report that talked about how the Chicago Police brass handled the Laquan McDonald shooting, how they handled the Qu- Laquan McDonald shooting. And a part of that analysis was looking at the current superintendent of police Eddie Johnson in his role in 2014 as the deputy chief of patrol, or I believe this he was a deputy chief of patrol at the time, and uh, he was he had stated that he received or he saw the video during that time. This was on CPS uh, or CBS 2 News, uh, stating that he wanted to clear up some misconceptions in the new report released by the Office of the Inspector General. This is of course on the website. CBS2Local.com. Now, the report stated when Johnson was a deputy chief in 2014, he and other uh, top CPDF officers met to discuss the dash cam video of the Laquan McDonald shooting, and that happened one year after Laquan McDonald was fatally shot before the video was released to the public. Now, he stated that at his position as the deputy chief of patrol, he was not responsible for disciplined decisions on a superintendent level. This would obviously be true due to his position. He wasn't given all the information and that he saw the video close to two weeks after the incident and that he was not in the initial larger after action meeting. Now, deputy chief of patrol, assistant chief of patrol in, uh, conducting things regarding their individual bureaus. Okay. Typically deputy chief was deputy chiefs of patrol are assigned to Chicago police's three areas of patrol. That's area North area, South and area central. Okay. Which used to be area one, area two, area three, area four and area five, but they've just divided it to three districts, area South, central and North. Okay. Um, he said he called the incident a tragedy, but to be clear, he never thought and said the shooting of Laquan, he never thought and he never said that the shooting of Laquan McDonald was justified, and he uh says that people should look at the current record of what he has done so far prior to his Uh, ascension to the office of superintendent of police. They did not have stress-induced use-of-force training. He states that they have that now, and this is actually the case. They do have stress-induced use-of-force training. But uh, the question in the Black community, uh, and I don't want to say other communities because I haven't heard that argument in other communities, but I have heard it in the Black community, was why didn't Superintendent Johnson, when he was deputy chief of patrol, Eddie Johnson, why didn't he stand up and say something about the Laquan McDonald shooting? Why didn't he condemn the actions of Jason Van Dyke? For which I respond in this manner, not as though I'm Eddie, but I respond in this manner. How many killings do we have in our community and we need to stand up against that and we don't? I know this is a controversial question, but it is nonetheless true. And I. Look at my experience as a former police officer, former detective, you know, responding to uh, homicides and various crimes and seeking cooperation from citizens and getting the, well, I don't know nothing. I didn't see anything, you know. And so that question also comes true. See, I have always been a proponent of the statement that people are as loyal as their options. And this is ever- more the case. People are as loyal as their options. So, what would Superintendent Johnson's options have been at the time? Let's look at it in 2014. First of all, people so quickly forget that we were right in the wake of the decision handed down by the grand jury in St. Louis County, not a St. Louis County, Missouri not to indict Officer Darren Wilson of the fatal shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and the subsequent protests that occurred nationwide. We were right in the wake of that. Who knew that in Chicago, we had our own proverbial Mike Brown, you know, not stating that, you know, I I, I am for or against whatever happened in Michael Brown's situation in Ferguson. Uh, I have my own opinions. Those of you all who follow me, you've heard them before, not going to beat a horse, uh, but, or a uh, stopped horse, we'll just use that term. But That having been said, there was a public safety issue that was going on with the Michael Brown shooting and the grand jury's decision that had spread all the way to Chicago. We had our own brand of protest for people who were in support of uh, Michael Brown and his family in Ferguson, uh, stating that the decision not to indict Uh, uh, Laquan, not, not Laquan, but Darren Wilson was a travesty of justice. And we had protest here. So just imagine, put yourself, I want you just to close your eyes. Okay. If you're in the interest of a fair argument, close your eyes and put yourself in the mindset of, or in the shoes of the superintendent of police at the time, Gary McCarthy. Okay, Gary McCarthy, former New Yorker, deputy chief or deputy uh, commissioner for operations, very experienced law enforcement guy, largest police department in the nation. Put yourself in his shoes. Knowing what he knew at the time, knowing what Eddie Johnson, deputy chief of patrol, knew at the time, command level decisions were already dealing with expanding police resources to deal with the the protest of the perceived or actual injustice from another state, Missouri, another county, St. Louis County, another city, Ferguson. Imagine if they had released the video at that time. What kind of public safety nightmare that could have been. Imagine, just imagine, if Superintendent Gary McCarthy would have taken action right then and there, uh, following procedures and contractual guidelines on discipline and things of that nature, letting investigations take its course. And by the way, we were right in the middle of a Chicago mayoral and all election at that time. You talk about the perfect powder keg of All of these people's not only positions, right, jobs, but the lives that could have been put in jeopardy had that information been released at that time. Now, granted, it probably shouldn't have taken as long as it took for this information to be released. Okay, but put yourself in the position of the superintendent at the time, McCarthy, put yourself in the position of. Deputy Chief Eddie Johnson. Okay, we have people that won't tell on their mother, right? We have people that won't tell on their father. That won't tell on cousins. That won't tell on brothers. That won't tell for for ten dollars. Okay put yourself, you got people, where do you work at right now? Okay. McDonald's or some high fortune 500 company or wherever you work at, right? Come on. How many people do you see doing stuff and you don't say anything? I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just stop talking about behavior that actually occurs. I am of the belief. That people are as loyal as their options. So you put yourself in the position of the deputy chief of patrol, who is a six-figured sergeants in the Chicago police department make six figures, right? Depending upon how long you've been on the department. Okay. So look at the position of the deputy chief of patrol and the superintendent of police. Are you willing to sacrifice your six-figured job? Your six-figure job, given that you have a family, you have to go home to and answer to. You know, given that you have, you know, payments, you know, uh, your old personal issues, that your your own life. Are you willing to sacrifice all of that to take a stand? Because after you take that stand, and if you lose your job, which is more likely than not the case, okay? Let's let's just look at it really, really quickly, okay? Because we're gonna wrap this up shortly. If the mayor is going to lose the election, which is probably what was going to be the case for that election, right? Rob Emanuel is the mayor at the time. He's no longer the mayor now, as of the recording of this podcast, but he was the mayor at the time. If Rob Emanuel loses his job, more likely than not, the next mayor who comes in, especially in the wake of these Ferguson situations and the Laquan and McDonald situation that is to come, the next mayor is sure to get rid of you as the superintendent of police. Now, McCarthy did end up losing his job and that did happen. But look at it. McCarthy didn't lose his job until after Rom was reelected and McCarthy was allowed to stay on. And the deputy chief of patrol is typically a pick of the superintendent, from my understanding. I know that superintendents have the choice to wipe their whole chain of command and reinstall new ones because those are merited positions, not, pos- oh, not, I'm sorry. These are, un. I don't want to say merited positions. These are positions that are not positions that you test for like sergeant or lieutenant, things of that nature. These are positions where you are at the behest of the superintendent of police. Are you willing to sacrifice your position and your, your, your pay, are you willing to do that? Okay. So that's one of the reasons I believe that, uh, Eddie did not say anything at the time, or if he did, it was something that he just kept to himself, you know, uh, whatever comments he might've had. Look, He stated whatever he stated to whomever he stated it to, but he played his position because his position at the time required that he stayed in his place. And so I ask you again the question as we close on this topic, are you willing to sacrifice your standing and where in your life today do you sacrifice for the good of other people at the behest of? Of your standing, your finances, your job that you have now, your position, be it socially, whatever the case may be. I think that's a very good question. That's a very fair question, okay? We'll be right back with On the Mic with Mike after this commercial break. All right, welcome back to On the Mic with Mike. We're going to go ahead and continue with the Chicago Police Board deciding to fire Officer Robert Rialmo over the 2015 shooting that killed 19 year old Quentinio Legrier and 55 year old Betty Jones. And this is again on CBS 2 Chicago. The board's vote was unanimous. Last November, police superintendent Eddie Johnson recommended that Rialmo be fired eight months after calling the shooting justified. The superintendent accused Rialmo of violating five department rules. So, department rules were conduct impeding the department's efforts to achieve its policy and bringing discredit upon the department, disobeying an order or a directive inattention to duty incompetency and unlawful or unnecessary use of a weapon all right so the situation is as this one day after christmas 2015 Rialmo and his partner were responding to calls about a domestic disturbance at Legrier's father's home jones who lived downstairs and this is betty jones opened the door and directed the officers to the apartment where legrier was staying with his father. legrier who was apparently suffering from mental health problems, came running down the stairs with a baseball bat and Rialmo fired eight shots, six of them hitting LeGrier, one of them hitting Jones, who was standing behind the teenager. Now, police board president, Gian, hope I'm saying his name right, Gian Foreman read the board's ruling. And I'm going to go on ahead and let's listen to the board's ruling and then we'll talk about it. Here we go
1: motion passes. I will now read excerpts from the board's written decisions. In the early morning of December 26, 2015, Officer Robert Rialmo shot and killed Betty Jones at her home at 4710 West Erie Street in Chicago. Officer Rialmo did not intend to kill Ms. Jones and Ms. Jones did nothing to warrant her fate. Instead, Ms. Jones was shot with a bullet intended for Mrs. Jones' upstairs neighbor, Quintonio Legrier who had threatened Officer Rialmo with a baseball bat. Miss Jones was present at the scene and in close proximity to Mr. LaGreer as he was shot, only because she had assisted officers as they responded to a domestic disturbance occurring in the upstairs apartment in the two-flat building in which she lived. This tragic case raises difficult but important questions about when a police officer may use deadly force, specifically in this instance, in this instance in which he knew or reasonably should have known that an innocent bystander was in his line of fire. As explained in more detail in the decision, the police board finds that the Chicago Police Department's general orders require an officer to consider the presence of an innocent bystander when deciding whether to use deadly force. This finding recognizes that an officer has a duty first and foremost to protect the public and that the most critical mission of the Chicago Police Department is to prevent loss of innocent life. With those basic principles in mind, and upon examination of the facts of this case, the board finds that when Officer Rialmo fired his gun in the direction of Betty Jones, he had the ability to safely reposition himself even farther than he already had from Mr. Legrier. Had Officer Rialmo done so, he could have neutralized the threat posed by Quintonio Legrier and Betty Jones would be alive today. Officer Rialmo had an obligation to re-examine his options in light of the presence of Ms. Jones take all reasonable reasonable precautions to avoid shooting her as all officers have an obligation to act in a manner to protect innocent persons around them. To be perfectly clear, the board does not believe Officer Rialmo intended to harm Betty Jones, but his use of deadly force was objectively unreasonable under the totality of the circumstances he faced, inconsistent with his training and violated the department's general orders. Given the loss of Mrs. Jones' life that ensued, the board finds that Officer Rialmo must be discharged from the Chicago Police Department. In addressing the question of the June 28 verdict in the civil case brought by the estate of Quintonio Legrier, the board found that it is true that a civil jury determined that Officer Rialmo reasonably reasonably believed that it was necessary to use deadly force against Legrier to prevent death or great bodily harm to himself or his partner. The jury's findings, however, is not in the board's analysis here, as the jury was asked a question that is distinctly different from that asked of this board. Specifically, the jury in the LaGreer civil case was only asked whether the use of force was reasonable as to LaGreer, not Betty Jones. And the jury was not asked to determine whether the force was necessary based on the totality of the circumstances. Copies of the written decision are available here at the meeting and the decision will be available tonight on the police board's website, chicagopoliceboard.org.
0: All right, we're back with Instructor uh, <laughs> Mike. So you heard that uh video from uh Police Board Chairman Gian Foreman. I just want to capitalize on a couple of things that was said. First of all, we're talking about the, uh, the shooting death of Betty Jones and Quintinio Legrier in in Chicago on November of 2015, you know, uh, I just want to capitalize on a couple of things that he did say. And this is of course about the firing of Chicago police officer, Robert Riamo. The Chicago police just uh, voted a few days ago to, uh, terminate his employment from the Chicago police department. You know, I just want to capitalize on a couple of things that he did say. He said that he stated on the record that Officer Realmo did not intend to shoot Betty Jones and that of the eight times or the eight shots that were fired, six of them hit Greer, uh, the person who was uh involved in the situation. And uh one of them hit Betty Jones, and that the bullet that was meant for the Greer was the one uh or one of those rounds that was meant for uh, LeGrier that was fired at LeGrier, uh, actually hit and killed Betty Jones. He stated something in his uh, statement that I didn't like only because she assisted the officers as they responded to a call of a domestic disturbance in the two-flat apartment uh, building that he was living in and I think that's that that's wrong first of all she wasn't shot nor do I think that the officer and even though I can't speak for him come on how how reasonable is it to state that she was shot because she is because she assisted that's not why she was shot I would argue that she was shot as an unintended consequence of what happens when you do use deadly force or when you shoot a firearm we talk, I'm a firearms instructor and we talk about this all the time always assume every firearm is loaded point to fire Arm in a safe direction, keep your finger off the trigger, know your back, know the deadly threat and the backstop that's behind the deadly threat. And when possible, if you're able to uh, make the necessary adjustments to, you know, uh, limit the possibility. Of hitting someone uh, that's behind the threat. But those of us or those people who have actually used a firearm know that it's not always possible under a stressful situation, especially when you feel you're about to lose your life or your partner's life or a friend's life or someone whom you have a duty to protect or just an average civilian. It's not always the case that you are able to look and analyze the backstop. Sometimes the threat is so uh, uh, rapidly evolving as Situation that's rapidly evolving. The situation is so tense to the point where you just have to act and just hope and pray that no one is struck by any uh, rounds. Especially given that the the fact that they are not intended for anyone behind this deadly threat. You know, we can't always uh, uh, say that the deadly that the deadly threat is not going to move. Those are unintended actions that are anomalies in given situations uh i don't even want to call them anomalies they are just variables that's what i should have said variables in these given situations you don't know if that threat is going to stand there that threat especially if they're a deadly threatening moving or mobile object they will move more likely than not it's possible for that to happen okay so uh Police board president continues to read on stating that uh the officer knew or should have reasonably known that an innocent bystander was in the line of fire. Uh the the president also stated that uh Betty Jones was in close proximity to Greer. So How can you expect, let me continue to read the rest of this before I get into my argument, uh, that the officers have a duty to consider innocent bystanders and to protect life before they use force, that he had the ability to be able to safely reposition himself even further to neutralize the threat posed by Greer, and that he had a duty to re-examine options and that his force use was objectively unreasonable. Okay. So I'm just going to, uh, just pinpoint a few of these things and just talk about them. First of all, Yes, police officers do have a duty to uh, consider innocent bystanders and unintended uh, persons that could be struck in the line of fire, okay, and that's the reason why police officers give commands to people in the area, stay back, stay back, don't come close, if possible, if practical, okay, sometimes a situation just presents itself to where an officer has to immediately stop that threat because it do- they do not have the time, and I think that one analysis that I continuously use when it comes comes down to the use of force, even by civilians or even by police officers, is the slot analysis. Are you in the right slot to use any kind of uh, force that you intend on using towards a threat? What does slot stand for? It stands for analyzing yourself, analyzing the subject or suspect, analyzing the law, what actions makes their actions illegal that makes your response legal. Looking at the location where are you looking at your obstacles what obstacles could be in place looking at your tools what tools do you have with you you know what that you could use to stop this threat looking at your tactics what tactics do you have with regard to the tool or tools that you have at your disposal and do you have the time to be able to mount an adequate defense by going on the offensive to stop that a threat that was that threat that was initiated by this uh subject or suspect and those are things that need to be analyzed. And so looking at those things, you even have to have the time to make that analysis, which means situational awareness has to be ramped up, you know, Are you in the ability or do you have the ability? Have you seen things coming as it was rapidly unfolding? This is analysis that you need to make as these things are taking place. And I would argue long before the situation ever comes to be because most situations, there are uh, specifics given each situation, but there are things where you can pretty much assume uh, what a person may or may not do uh, in given situations. It's not always the case. Okay, so in looking at uh, what he stated that he had the ability to safely reposition himself even further. First of all, if you look at the specific term that he used even further, the further away you position yourself, the harder it would be uh likely for you to argue that this person was a deadly threat. If you have the ability to be able to position yourself further, that means you have options. That means you have options to be able to analyze whether or not the use of force is even warranted or necessary, okay? Because if you use force, And, and, or especially deadly force. If you use deadly force, that means you have exhausted all reasonable options to stop that deadly threat. And deadly force was the last resort. Now, the last resort could be your first resort given the circumstances, okay? And one term that he used that he obviously did not analyze was objective reasonableness. Now, objective reasonableness comes out of the United States Supreme Court case, Graham versus Connor, 490 U.S. 386, 1989. 490 U.S. 386, 1989, where the Supreme Court, uh, the Rehnquist Court, talked about the objective reasonableness of the uh, force used in a given situation, okay? And several court cases have given insight to how uh, they view these issues. First of all, the severity of the crime, which was talked about in Graham versus Connor. Then we're talking about whether or not the suspects pose immediate threats to the safety of the officers, and that was in Tennessee versus Gardner, uh, 471 U.S. 1, uh, 1985. Okay, and then are the suspects resisting or actively resisting arrest? It is the case that a civil jury did uh, decide in the Greer lawsuit against the officer and the department that the officer reasonably believed that, uh, he, uh, that Greer's actions posed a threat to the life of himself and his partner. Okay. Uh, they examine, uh, the facts as they appeared at the time, uh, of the officer's viewing, which is also present in Graham versus Connor, that the officers exercise their duties in good faith, uh, at their official discretion, which is also analyzed in Graham versus Connor, that officers are sometimes forced to make split second tens and unscathed certain and rapidly evolving, uh, decisions in those incidents. And that was the words of chief justice Rehnquist in writing for the court, uh, in that decision in Graham versus Connor. And I think that, um, he, uh, the, the Chicago police board president was talking about the officer's training, that his actions were not consistent with the officer's training, which I will probably argue is both correct and incorrect one the police department doesn't always train officers in uh, stress induced training and if you've heard superintendent johnson when he was talking about his decision in the laquan mcdonald case where he was talking about how they did not train a lot for stress induced training and after his ascension to the rank of superintendent of police they now have stress induced training that is a clear admission that the training did not exist I <laughs> Prior to his ascension to the department, you have uh, department training, which 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 focuses a lot on the worst possible scenarios that could happen. They don't, but they. I can tell you, having been a police officer and having gone to not only one academy but several academies uh, in my career, and even in the military. We want to talk about the military. That's a different conversation. But especially talking about uh, the police training, we do not train on responding to uh, domestic incidents. We talk about them. We talk about the use of force, we go through uh, uh, <coughs> learning how to shoot firearms and things like that. But in terms of stress-induced training, let's be honest, we don't go through that. We don't go through, uh, you know, and of course, every academy is different. So if you have an academy where they talk about that, please put that out there. Put that on my Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, let me know. But I think in light of a lot of these situations coming to the media uh, in the forefront, we now are seeing... Stress-induced training, which is extremely important, uh, and Superintendent Johnson talked about how they have that. We don't have, you know, mock houses where you have role players and officers with, you know, uh, inert firearms or or assert pistols, where they are put in situations where it really tests their stress levels to the point where we can see how they will perform under that stress. And so that brought me to one case, City of Canton, Ohio versus Harris, which was also decided in the same year that. Graham versus Connor was decided. This case is codified as 489 US 378, also in 1989. In fact, Canton was decided before Graham. Canton was decided before Graham, uh, where a municipality may be held liable under section or under Title 42 United States Code, Section 1983, for violations resulting from failure to train its employees. Okay. I think that the only way that police officers are ever going to be able to do their jobs better is if they are trained better. So when we talk about the Chicago Police Board's decision uh, to fire Officer Riamo stating that his actions were inconsistent with his training, in part he is right, but I don't think he really knows where he is right at. The, The failure is not on Officer Riamo. The failure is on the department for failure to Adequately trained, adequately trained, adequately trained. Its officers regarding every possible scenario that they could ever have to go to, and increase the likelihood of analyzing their understanding of the situation that they're about to get into, and analyzing their response to that situation to analyze whether or not they will be able to handle that situation. I can tell you in the academy, we talked about verbal judo, we talked about the use of force, we talked about handcuffing, we talked about. weapon retention and disarming, you know, uh, we definitely went through the rage and, and did shots, you know, shooting and stuff like that or qualifying with our firearms. We might have even gone through some positions, but scenario based training. Yeah. You didn't see a lot of that in the Academy. I'm just going to be honest about that. Okay. And if you have, like I said, post that on here. Okay. Uh, so I think that if uh, if uh, Officer Rialmo uh, were to appeal this decision uh, at the court level, okay, at the uh, uh, circuit court level, or maybe the appeals court level, or even if it had to go to the Supreme Court level, I think that uh, Officer Rialmo has a greater chance of getting his job back because you know if you look at the circumstances, you know they don't disagree that Greer's actions caused Rialmo to discharge his pistol, they are punishing him because of the death of Betty Jones. And by the way, her death was not warranted. It was not warranted at all, but it was an unintended consequence that happens In the use of force, ask anybody who's ever been in a situation, you have innocent bystanders that are unfortunately casualties of war or casualties of actions where the actions were justified, but the unintended consequence just happens when you have such a situation uh, that takes place where action, you know, uh, where action where they had to take some kind of action or otherwise the officer would have unnecessarily lost his life, you know. And of course, we don't want to say, well, is officer is the officer's life more important than Jones? We don't want to make that type of uh, analysis because both lives matter. Their lives do matter. But in that instance, Officer Realmo took actions to save his and unfortunately, Betty Jones to no consequence of her own because we don't know anything about her training or anything about how she responds. She did not take steps to save her life, which she had a duty to do. I know that's going to be controversial. I know you're going to hate me because I said that, but this is why I advocate for civilians to get trained The same thing that applies to the officers are the same thing that applies to Betty is the same thing that applies to uh, Greer in that the one common factor amongst them all is that they are human and subject to f- uh, failure to act or fight, flight, freeze, or emotions. In this case, we can argue maybe Betty froze. She was too busy in the situation looking at what happened to pay attention to the fact that, oh my God, they got guns out. Let me move. Or this could go wrong. Let me get out the way. I already opened the door. Let me get out the way. That could have been the case. You get innocent bystanders on crime scenes or in in gang shootings or things like that that get hit as an unintended consequence of other people's actions, okay? And this is one of the main reasons why we have a a law that uh, has it where people who are suspects who are still alive, where another person gets shot, or killed or hurt as a result of a police action because of that person that person can be charged with that person's death instead of the officers being charged with that person's death because the criminal activity spawned the police activity which resulted in the unfortunate but unnecessary death of that person because of the criminal's actions and the criminal is subsequently charged some people think that's unfair that's a topic for a discussion on another time all right We'll be right back with another thing to look at regarding the Chicago Police Board because they allowed Jason Van Dyke to resign. You remember Jason Van Dyke from the Laquan McDonald shooting, convicted of second-degree murder and 16 counts of aggravated battery with a firearm. How did they allow him to resign when they led him to believe, or they led the public to believe, that he had been fired? We'll be right back with Destructor Mike on the mic with Mike after this. Hey, what's going on? It's Instructor Mike. You know, you can follow me on social media. That's right. Go to Facebook and follow me at Mike Brown. You can follow me at Instructor Mike. You can also go to Instagram and follow me at Yes, Mike said it, or go to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube page. Instructor Mike, click the subscribe button, hit the notifications bell so that you get all of the videos for the greatest training out there and give me some of your ideas, whatever you think you'd like to see. Let's go. Let's change the world with independent thinking. From issues relative to the criminal justice system, to issues that are social issues, and even taking it slow to domestic relations. These are the things we have to talk about. Follow me. A lot of adults have dark roads. Started from when they were young, though. The hug they didn't get, the words they didn't hear. The pain they didn't learn to manage because mom or dad patched mostly all of their wounds and fought mostly all of their battles. You've heard it before. If you have a problem at school, come to me. If you have a problem, come to me. While traveling through life, hearing certain things such as you're fat, you're slow. You're not like us. You're ugly. See, I felt disrespected when he said, no one loves me. I fell for this person because I needed love. Who knew that he or she'd be? You know, it's your job to make me feel like, or why don't you love me? Why don't you want me? But if only we had learned very early on that these things were our jobs to perform. If only we had learned to do for self in every way. Well, look no further. What I tell myself first, children's real world affirmations of self-esteem is that answer. It is to readers what the AED is to a heart. It instills the defibrillator of self-esteem so powerful for when times are tough and your mind is under attack. This book will serve its purpose, not for when times are good, but for when times are bad. When one is on that dark road and it feels like no one is there, it will serve as the proverbial jump pack to the battery of the mind, like that hug that you needed but you didn't get, like the words you needed to hear but you didn't hear. This book of reality-based daily affirmations for children are the I wish I had this of books see we must instill in our children the answer to bullying hate body shaming beauty and attacks on the self through daily affirmations you owe it to your children you owe it to yourself go to what I Tell order today available in paperback hard copy audiobook and ebook
1: the board will now take final action on these cases <clears throat> regarding case numbers 16 PB two eight zero is me regarding case number 16 PB two nine zero eight and 19 PB two nine five eight the superintendent filed charges to discharge Jason Van Dyke from the Chicago Police Department for conduct related to the fatal shooting of Laquan McDonald the superintendent subsequently moved to withdraw the charges because Jason Van Dyke has resigned from the Chicago Police Department. Is there a motion to grant the superintendent's motion to withdraw the charges? Second. All in favor by a show of hand? Any opposed? Voting in favor of board members Wolf, Crow, Delgado, Edie, Flores, O'Malley, Swinney, Zopp, and myself. The motion passes.
0: All right, welcome back to On the Mic with Mike. All right, we're just going to make this one rather short you know i think that uh when we're talking about the jason van dyke uh being allowed to resign instead of him being fired i think there was the public misconception and it probably not being cleared by the chicago police department as it relates to jason van dyke and his employment status we all thought and i have to say i was one of those persons that thought that too that jason van dyke had been terminated from his uh position as soon as the video was released uh it takes a it takes uh, yeah you got departments that move to fire very quickly and you have boards that act on that very fastly but uh such is not the case um in uh 2015 i want to say uh yeah uh, officer van dyke was charged in connection with the Mac- uh, laquan mcdonald shooting and On August 30th, 2016, the superintendent of police filed with the police board uh, of the city of Chicago uh, charges against Officer Van Dyke and other officers and moved that they be terminated or discharged from their employment in violation of various rules of conduct regarding the actions that occurred to Laquan Laquan McDonald and the subsequent police investigation. But uh, at the time... Laquan, uh, not Laquan McDonald, but Jason Van Dyke had been charged with uh, first-degree murder and uh, 16 counts of aggravated battery with a firearm, okay? And uh, because of that, uh, January 5th, 2017, uh, Special Prosecutor uh, Patricia Brown Holmes, who was appointed by the Chief Criminal Court Judge Leroy Martin Jr., Uh, to investigate the criminal wrongdoing and to Laquan McDonald and uh, a subsequent criminal investigation uh, came as a result of that. Uh, uh, Kane County, Illinois State's Attorney Joseph McMahon was named a special prosecutor to prosecute the criminal case against Van Dyke because Cook County State's Attorney Anita Alvarez recused herself from that case and recused the office of the Cook County State's Attorney. Uh, And so because of that uh some people are not aware of the Garrity versus new jersey supreme court ruling that held that uh coerced statements obtained by uh police investigators or command staff cannot be used in a criminal trial because they are coerced statements and subsequent to uh being uh subsequent to not being used in a criminal trial. And because that is the case, because Superintendent Johnson stated in uh, his motion or in his motion to discharge the officers that he was going to use uh, coerced statements uh, given by Van Dyke in his uh, police trial, Against Van Dyke for uh, his job to discharge him from his job, he was going to use those statements. Those statements, if publicly released, could very well affect the criminal trial. And uh, defendants have rights in the courts—the uh, right to due process and and all other kind of constitutional rights—and so because of that. Uh, Special Prosecutor Patricia Bar- Brown Holmes filed a motion uh, to stay the police board proceedings until the outcome of the criminal trial, and that motion was subsequently granted. So no, Jason Van Dyke was not fired from his job, unlike was unlike what was reported in the media. Uh, and I'm surprised that Chicago police... Uh, command staff did not confirm that he was not terminated, but but just that he was suspended without pay pending the outcome of that investigation. Um, he was subsequently allowed just recently uh, to resign from the Chicago Police Department with Superintendent Johnson withdrawing the charges, stating that his uh, conviction cost him his certification that is required to be a Chicago police officer. All police officers in the state of Illinois are certified by the Illinois law enforcement training and standards board after the completion and examination uh, state examination at their various academies in Illinois. And so his subsequent felony conviction automatically revoked his certification. So he is no longer eligible to be a police officer. And by that very token, uh, the superintendent withdrew those charges and accepted his tendered resignation. Uh, I thought this just a tad bit troubling, probably not a tad bit. I find this troubling. Uh, Robert Riamo was fired for his lawful use of force towards uh, Quintinio Quintinio Greer. But the unintended death of Betty Jones was what cost Officer Rialmo his job. He wasn't allowed to resign. He was terminated. But here you have Jason Van Dyke who was convicted. And I don't care what anybody says. Any naysayer may say Jason could be cool. He could be, you know, at the bar, support you at your family, support you this, support you that. Cool. But in that given case, a Laquan McDonald shooting, he was wrong. I don't care what anyone says. I've watched that video more times than not. And he was wrong. That little small little foot that made you think that he was coming towards you. And then just the courtroom testimony was just horrible. It was, you know, uh, and to put him on the stand was just laughable to say the least. But neither here nor there. Uh, You allow Jason Van Dyke, who was convicted of second-degree murder and 16 counts of aggravated battery, where that use of force definitely was not justified at all. Other uses of force might have been, but that use of force was not justified. You allow him to resign, but you terminate Robert Rialmo for his use of force. And I find that to be troubling, especially in light of, I'm trying to get to this article, uh, just just bear with me and especially in light of. Uh, uh, the superintendent johnson who stated in march 2018 according to cbslocal.com in march 2018 johnson rejected the citizen office of police accountabilities finding that robert riamo should be fired asserting that investigators say that they found no evidence to support riamo's claim that the shooting was necessary uh johnson called the shooting justified and within department policy and quoted himself uh or was quoted to his said, an investigation should not second-guess an officer's decisions by suggesting how COPA itself would have resolved the incident. Instead, an investigation must address the question of whether the officer, while making split-second decisions... Intense, uncertain, and rapidly evolving circumstances acted as another reasonable department member on the scene would have done, and he is, of course, quoted Graham versus Connor, which is codified United States Supreme Court case 490 U.S. 386, a 1989 case. That is, those are the words in part from uh, Chief Justice Henry Rehnquist in reading the opinion of the court, and that is exactly how that investigation or how that situation should have been analyzed. But then he backpedaled and filed charges against Rialmo to have him fired from his job, which was subsequently sustained by a unanimous Chicago police board, but then allowed Jason Van Dyke, someone whose actions were not justified, to resign. I find that troubling. I really, really do. I hope Officer Rialmo does. You know, and this is nothing against the estate of Betty Jones or her life. Her life didn't matter, and I wish it did not happen. But I also hope that Officer Rialmo, fired, uh, you know, former Officer Rialmo, uh, uh, sues for his job, and I hope he gets it back because he's got precedent to be able to. Uh, he's he's got precedent on his side. He really does, uh, and so. Yeah, I don't know. This is just a sad situation just to think about it entirely for both Betty Jones's family, who did not deserve to lose her life, uh, and Officer Rialbo, who did not deserve to lose his job. You know, if only situations could have turned out better. All right, we'll be right back with uh, uh, the Chicago Chicago Teachers Union strike and just my little thoughts on the strike. And this is going to be relatively short, so don't go anywhere. We'll We'll be right back. Hey, what's going on, it's Instructor Mike. Are you in the market for a good firearm? Are you looking for a place in the state of Illinois where you can practice effective and safe usage of a firearm to defend yourself shooting for sport? or just inviting your family members out to a wonderful place where they can learn about exercising their Second Amendment rights, well, Eagle Sports Range is the place for you. 5900 West 159th Street in Oak Forest, our state-of-the-art range is comfortable, safe, and provides you with the perfect environment to enjoy your shooting. Whether you're a firearms enthusiast or just starting out, their range has everything you want for your shooting needs fully air-conditioned for comfort with friendly and knowledgeable staff that also have a great selection of firearms for sale or rent as well as ammunition that you conveniently need on site. Eagle Sports Range, that's eaglesportsrange.com, 708-535-3000. Hey, what's going on? This is Instructor Mike. All right, so we're back with On The Mic with Mike. We're talking about the Chicago Teachers Strike, Chicago Teachers Strike. All right, so... This is according to NPR.org. The Chicago Teachers Union voted in overwhelming numbers to authorize a strike. Union officials announced late Thursday the strike is, uh, the union is planning to set a strike date next Wednesday, and the teachers will likely walk out in mid October if no deal has been reached. Well, they have walked out. Okay. And they are fighting over what they call four essential issues. Uh, and this is on WBEZ.org. So class size. What is the right class size limit? So uh, here we go. Staffing ratios. How many counselors, case managers, nurses should Chicago police, uh, Chicago police, Lord Jesus, Chicago public schools employ per student? What is the right contract length? Should some teacher prep time uh, be principal directed? What is the right raise for teachers and staff? Should they pay more health insurance? What should be done to get more substitutes in the schools? And should ICE agents be allowed into schools without a search warrant? So those were some of the issues uh, that are more contentious, and then those were some that were less contentious. And you can go. Go to webz.org or wbez.org and just Google or just look up uh, Chicago Teachers Strike is called. Chicago Teachers are on strike. Explore the issues. You know, I just have to say this. Uh, I am for teachers. I am greatly, greatly, greatly for teachers. Uh, I loved my Chicago teachers. Uh, I am a product of the Chicago public school system. But I do have to just ask this question. And I'm not going to make any sudden statements or anything like that uh because i am not a teacher of sorts i have been an adjunct professor i do educate but i am not a chicago public school teacher uh and so you know they say it's for the kids that they are doing what they are doing but i just have a question should we be using the the time that children should be in school. Should we be using that as the right time to strike? That's the that's the only question uh, that's the primary question that I have. You know,, um, why not do it during the summer? And I get it because it probably wouldn't be effective. Uh, because there's no expediency there's no sense of urgency you know because well it's during the summer you know you guys aren't in school nobody's really being threatened we can turn our back the public you know it doesn't it's not media worthy in essence you know so uh it's like when other unions decide to stop work and strike During the time where work should be taking place, you know, it creates a a sort of expediency where you have to listen to me now, you know, and so I I think I just answered my own question, but, you know, we're talking about kids. We're not talking about uh, uh, building, you know, stopping a building from being, you know, constructed. We're talking about kids. We're talking about our most one of our most vulnerable, you know, society Members, our children and their education. You know, for every day they are not in school, you know, they are not learning. That's number one. Number two, they're not being protected because they don't have the protection of the four walls. And some or a percentage, if not a great percentage, of these schools are in high crime areas. You know, and so that that's that's a concern to me. You know, uh so I don't know. You know, I, I don't want to seem like I'm against the teachers because I'm not. You know, I love teachers. We need them. You know, but I just have to look at the other side of this issue that, you know, and, and, and it's it should not be where if you have an opinion about the other side of this issue that's not being addressed, you know, that you should be ostracized. You should be, you know, you're the devil. You know, yeah, I think that all sides, both sides should be looked at. You know, when I click on this, uh, I'm looking at, you know, you. Um, the, the, the two sides, the Chicago Teachers Union and then the Chicago Public Schools. You know, October 11th, CPD, uh, CPD, Lord Jesus. Chicago Public Schools offers 1 million annually to address overcrowded uh, 4th through 12th grade classes. CTU is proposing to phase its demand for lower class sizes and enforceable remedies for overcrowded classes. CTU wants the neediest schools to get the lower class size caps first. You know, the uh, CPS offers more than 9 million. And to address, you know, uh, fourth through eighth grade classes through the detail, though the details still need to be worked out, the school district is open to having a joint committee make the decision about how the money would be spent targeting the 20 percent of the schools with the greatest needs first. No formal response. Uh, that's the class size limit. Uh, here we go. How many counselors, case managers? It's another part. Uh, October 11th, CPD also offers an additional I keep saying CPD, CPS offers an additional 400,000 a year, 2 million over five years to build a pipeline for nursing, social worker and case manager positions. CTE is proposing to face in its demands around staffing so that the media schools get the resources first. What's the right contract length? The uh, CPS is stating five years. Teacher shooting is stating three. CPS says its existing offer is its final offer, and the teachers union has not changed. So they're looking for a three-year contract versus a five-year contract. Uh, should some teacher prep be principal-directed? Uh, as of recent, CPS says it will withdraw its proposal on principal-directed uh teacher prep time if ctu withdraws his proposal on teacher prep time ctu says they're they've proposed 30 minutes of extra prep time and it wouldn't result in a shorter day for students but it would result in a longer day for teachers and they'd have to be paid for that extra time <sighs> I, i'm not a teacher i don't want to comment on that i'm just reading what i what's on the website uh here we go what's the right raise for teachers and staff uh CPS says its existing offer is its final offer, and they said the same salary for teachers of 16% over five years. So it's just a lot in in this. It's just a lot of negotiation. And it's a good thing that WBEZ.org has looked at and that, you know, has posted what are their offers and the counter offers and the negotiations so that it could be seen. So the top three more contentious issues, if anything, is the contract length, prep time, principal directed, class size, how many counselors and case managers uh, should CPS employ per student, you know. Uh, I don't know. Is this an issue that could have been argued over the summer? Class size limit? You know, how many counselors and case managers and nurses should be uh, should CPS employ per student? You know, could those things not have been argued during the summer? You know, what is the right contract length? If these are the top three most contentious issues, what does that have to directly do? With the kids. Just, it's just a question. Don't attack me. Just answer the question, you know, and why now, as opposed to. Uh, the summertime when the kids would not be used as proverbial pawns in this issue, because let's let's not let's not men's words. These kids are being used as pawns for negotiation because that that's what builds the expediency. That's what builds the exigency, the emergency to get these kids back in school to come to the bargaining table because we're using your kids as hostage. And so now the public can get involved and put pressure. Give them what they want. Why? Not necessarily because I care. Well, that's saying That's my statement, but that's what could be said. But I just want my kid back in school because I have to go through all these extra things to, you know, provide care or whatnot for my kid while I'm at work because I can't stop working, you know. So I don't know. That's just that's just my opinion about that. Uh, Teachers deserve the best. They do, you know, but it's just a side note. I mean, my God, I remember my teacher when I went to school, I mean, they had like the best clothing, the best and that's just, maybe that's just her. I don't know, you know, but they didn't seem to be struggling. I don't know. You know, are they amongst one of the top paid teachers in the United States? I don't know. You know, I, I didn't look that far into it, you know, cause it's a contentious issue. I mean, if you think talking about policing, <laughs> if you think talking about policing will get somebody mad at me, I mean, imagine talking about the teachers, right? You know, I love my teachers, but you know, here's another question that I'm going to end with. What about living beyond your means? Are we having a conversation about that? Well, we don't want to talk about that, Mike. I mean, how dare you ask how I live, right? How dare you ask how I spend my money that I earn so, you know, that I work so hard for? Okay, here's another question. Is every teacher a good teacher? (gasps) Michael, how dare you talk about the teaching and whether or not I'm teaching very well? How dare you? I'm not saying they are. I'm not saying they aren't. I'm just saying those are questions that, you know, need to be asked. You know, I I don't know. I don't know. All right. I'm going to stay in my lane. (laughs) This is Instructor Mike and you've been trained. Uh, Follow me on Facebook, Mike Brown or Instructor Mike. Follow me on Instagram. And yes, Mike said it. Subscribe to my YouTube page by going to Instructor Mike, hitting the subscribe button, hitting the bell for notifications and order my book, order my book. It's going to change lives. It's going to change lives. I'm going to be all over the place advocating for this book. Let's do it. All right. I love you. I'll see you next episode. And it's not going to be long. I promise (laughs) I'm going to get back to podcasting because I love talking to y'all. I do. (laughs) You all stay safe.